Real quick before we start the show, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be awesome. November 10th and 11th, Santa Monica, California. Do hope to see you there. You can go to PacificBitcoin.com to buy tickets. Use promo code CAFE for a discount. In the words of Michael Saylor, it is going to be the Bitcoin event of the year. VIP gets you into everything, including the VIP party as well as the VIP rap party. Of course, GAA gets you all kinds of cool stuff as well, and there's going to be plenty of events and things to do. I hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. And if you're thinking to yourself, this guy does not sound like Alex, you are absolutely correct. Alex is unable to host today, so I'm filling in on his behalf. My name is John Haar. I'm part of the private client services team here at Swan, uh, which we also refer to as Swan Private. I joined Swan uh, almost nine months ago after a 13-year career in traditional finance at Goldman Sachs. And while I was at Goldman Sachs, I worked on things which are not nearly as consequential or interesting compared to Bitcoin. But I suppose that's not a fair comparison because what really is as consequential or interesting compared to Bitcoin? Not much if you ask me. All right. So let's get started with um, ticking through some, some news items. A um, bit of a free-form discussion to start the show, as many of you regular listeners know. Um, in no particular order, um, I will start with something on Coinbase. You just heard, for anyone who was on a couple minutes ago, um, in the, the Bitcoin news, it was just announced that Coinbase's revenue fell something like in the high 20s to 30% um, in their recent uh, earnings release. What I thought was interesting is that I saw another stat that Coinbase's revenue, specifically from retail traders, was down 85% in Q3 uh, 2022 versus uh, Q4 of 2021. Um, quite, quite a decline um, in Coinbase's revenue. I, I think this speaks to a bigger point that Coinbase has taken a different approach, certainly, than other companies have in the, the Bitcoin and crypto world, which was they're going to list as many tokens as possible and get as many people to trade them as possible. The last time I checked, Coinbase had over 100 tokens listed. I'm not sure what the latest number is, but I'm, I'm sure it's close to there. So they've really just taken kind of like a spray and pray approach. And uh, I think it's probably obvious that some of the Bitcoin-only companies have, have taken a drastically different approach uh, these last few years. Okay, moving on to, uh, and, and by the way, anyone who wants to, to chime in, who's a speaker, 
please chime in with your thoughts on on these topics. Raise your hand if you want to chime in, or just chime in. Um, we'll keep we'll keep it free form here. Yeah, I'll chime in on what you just said. I mean, I, I think that the news that Coinbase posted today saying, uh, oh, well, volatility was down, et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, okay, yes, right? Volatility has decreased and volatility is a trader's best friend. Uh, so therefore an exchange's best friend. But also I think it's sort of just like, I don't know, obfuscates what we all talk about all the time, which is nobody wants their stuff on Coinbase anymore. I don't think people trust Coinbase, period. So of course your volumes are down. Yes, volatility is down, but your volume's down because people just don't trust you anymore. Right on, right on. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, and, and welcome to all the uh, everyone who's on stage speaking right now. Welcome to all the regulars. Good to have everyone here. Um, so yeah, everyone, please chime in as as you see fit here. Um, hitting on some of the other uh, players in the Bitcoin and crypto ecosystem, um, there was a total of 1.76 billion of Bitcoin bought on Cash App in Q3. Uh, firstly, I would say that is just you know seems like a pretty big number, um, but obviously you want to be able to compare it to something, and that was very close to flat versus Q3 of 2021, which I think is pretty incredible given we obviously know the the bull market in 2021 was you know really off the charts and and things have come back down to reality from a price perspective since then plus people are facing <clears throat> macro and economic headwinds so for for there to be roughly the same amount of bitcoin bought on cash app in Q3 of this year compared to Q3 of last year i think speaks volumes to the the type of adoption we're seeing even if it's not reflected in the price, um, because again, people are facing a lot of headwinds from a, a macro and an economic perspective. So I, I think that does speak to the, the adoption that's happening. Wicked, what do you got? I tend to agree. I mean, I think Cash App tends to be a platform that uh, you know prioritizes or, or maybe pushes like DCA more than um, trading or more than anything else, and so. You know, I mean, I see this as basically just the DCA or Zone Cash App sticking with their DCA. I have plenty of friends who don't understand Bitcoin, but I've convinced them to just set up like a $10, $20 a week DCA. Um, and a lot of them hasn't, you know, they haven't touched it. They just set it and forget it. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably most customers on Cash App's mindset uh, when it comes to Bitcoin. So I'm not surprised by that. Those people, I have a feeling like those people that you're talking about, Wicked, where they're just like set up and they're just set it and forget it. Like those people are going to end up being pretty satisfied with themselves in this next in this next round if we hit the way we think we're going to hit. And you look back and there's all these people that are like, oh, I wish I would have bought more. I wish I would have bought more when I should have or when I knew I should have. But those people are just actively streaming it in at whatever level. They're, they're still going to be disappointed in themselves, right? They're still going to say, why, yeah. didn't I, why didn't I buy more? Because it's where we all end up. Yeah, that's a fair point, Tomer. <laughs> yeah, and we always you know, recommend, we think a DCA or recurring buys, whatever you want to call it, I think is, it has to be part of someone's uh, strategy when they're accumulating Bitcoin. It, it's just too hard to time the bottom 
Um, I saw this firsthand myself working at a financial services firm. People build very, very sophisticated models in attempts to time the bottom or give them signals for, hey, now's the time to buy this asset class. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it fails miserably. And these are the people who spend um, their whole careers doing it. So timing the bottom is too difficult of an exercise. With that said, I think you know recurring buy plus some dry powder on the sidelines to buy a dip if you things get if you think things get really dislocated. I think that is a uh, a very reasonable strategy. There's another headline here I wanted to mention. So Santander um, UK, their UK uh, bank, <clears throat> has placed a one thousand pound limit for deposits to Bitcoin exchanges for their clients who are looking to do that. And uh, the headline also read that it, it may ban transactions to exchanges altogether. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure people have uh, pretty strong thoughts about that. <clears throat> the always great Lynn Alden had a fantastic response on Twitter. She wrote, uh, you know, alternate title to this headline, banks limit outflows towards its competition. And then she said she would personally pull funds from any bank that does that. Um, I certainly feel the same way. Um, I think it's just kind of amazing that these banks just feel empowered to say, we just decided right here, right now, that you can't send any more than this amount of money to this type of entity. Uh, Tomer, what do you got? Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of comment. It's like, your money is not your money. Right? <laughs> Especially if it... If it if you're starting to use it as your money, right? Like sending money to a Bitcoin exchange to get self-sovereign money is so anathema that they can only tolerate $1,000 per client of this. It just reveals so much about what's truly going on. They may not be aware, the people making these policy decisions may not be explicitly aware that that's what they're doing, but it is explicitly what they're doing. They're saying, if you want to take your money and hold it in a way that you can decide what to do with it. We are not going to tolerate that. We, that is, there's, there's something so offensive to us about that, uh, that we're going to intervene in the trust relationship we have with you, where we are supposed to be holding your money for you and making it available for you for the purposes you want to use it for when you want to use it, that we're going to, this one purpose in particular, we, we can't tolerate. And that purpose is you taking possession of your money in a money system where we can't do this to you. So it, it, it's a complete betrayal of the fact they have always been betrayers of the trust. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, go, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Wicked, and then I'll chime in yeah. on what Tomer said. This is exactly why, you know, holding on to dry powder is probably not the best idea always. You know, like... <laughs> I don't know. Imagine you're stacking up a big fucking fat stack of shit, dry powder, fiat. And then all of a sudden your bank says, oh, um, we're bottoming out. It's 15K now, Bitcoin price, but we're not going to let you send all that cash to the exchange. Or the exchange says, oh, um, we just went down and uh, we're declaring bankruptcy. So all your fucking fiat that you had on our platform is no longer yours. I mean, like, <laughs> guys, you're fucking around with fire and with shit fiat, hoping to get a better price of Bitcoin, which probably is only going to happen if the Fed fucks all their plebs and forces them to sell you their sats. So, like, what are you hoping for here? You know, like you're 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 hoping that your fiat doesn't get stolen, and that you're able to steal sats from other you know 
plebs who were fucked in whatever circumstance they're in. Uh, why are you, you know, why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. I, I think that's a very fair point. Um, you have to, if you are going to keep dry powder, because I know there are a lot of people out there who want to keep something on the sidelines, um, which I think there's arguments to be made for that. But Wicked makes a great point. You need to be strategic about where that money is because if you're a Santander UK customer, you might have just woken up to a headline that says, okay, it's you know maxed at 1000 and maybe tomorrow they might say, actually, that 1000 has gone. You can't send anything. So <laughs> the dry powder needs to be somewhere that it's accessible. So what happens... Sorry, Tomer. I just want to get a quick comment in here. I'm I'm setting up my envoy as we're speaking. So, what happen if if indeed that does happen? The the price of Bitcoin at that point probably. I mean, I, I can't imagine that Bitcoin doesn't jump if if many banks start doing that. Um, and so then, if you have put yourself in a position where you cannot buy more Bitcoin. And you've already acquired Bitcoin. Isn't that a hedge? And John, maybe you could talk about hedging like that. In a hedge, in what sense? Well, in the sense that you know, if you're, a, I mean, I agree with I agree with what Wicked's saying, and I think everybody's individuals, everybody's circumstances, individual and unique, um, and they have to maintain some kind of solvency as they're moving along through this process, <clears throat> but. You know, at a certain point, people have some people are comfortable putting in 90 percent, 100 percent. Some people are comfortable putting in 5 percent or 20 percent. And so the way I look at it, because I have about 40 percent of my wealth in in Bitcoin, the way I look at it is that if the other 60% of my wealth is frozen or I can't access Bitcoin. I've already got 40% of my wealth there and I should, I should be in a position where I am okay going forward because of, of that, of that percentage of my wealth being in Bitcoin. And so when I talk about it being a hedge, my purchase of my, my acquiring of Bitcoin is the hedge that, that helps me to um, maintain my my level of solvency that I want to have in my traditional finance position, while still having the insurance, as Jeff, uh, excuse me, as Greg Foss would say, you know, the insurance um, uh, against uh, fiat collapse. Yeah, I think I think that's a very fair case to be made um if you have 100 percent of your wealth in a fiat bank account and a brokerage account um that's certainly not diversified um you're certainly not hedged against that money being uh you know you just being prevented from using that those funds um so yeah i, I would just say it, i think it's reasonable for someone to say i'm going to keep some of uh my money in in the form of dry powder um, Lynn Alden actually had a great um, statement about this. She said, I, I always like to keep some amount of cash, even though it's the one thing that I'm 100% confident will be less valuable looking out one year, three years, five years, whatever it is. I'm 100% confident it'll be less valuable, but I always like to have some to take advantage of market dislocations. So I, I personally think that is 
a, a reasonable strategy. But the question becomes when we say to ourselves, okay, I want to keep some of quote unquote my money in the form of cash, you could wake up to a Santander UK headline that makes you realize, oh, I thought that was my money. Um, but as Tomer said, it's not really your money. So you, it, it's about access and, and making sure that you can use it when the time comes. The other thing is that the market may become dislocated and you might not realize it, like how it's been dislocated for the past two or three months. And you've been sitting on your hands while you should have been fucking stacking below 20K. Nobody knows the bottom. That's true. Tomer? Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of things. One, one, just a very quick comment. It's like nobody, nobody will ever tell you that you can only use a certain amount of your Bitcoin to do something with it. <laughs> like the, there's, no, there's no authority that can say you can't spend some of your Bitcoin if it's in your self-custody. You can send it wherever you want. So the, this Santander situation that can happen with any bank can't happen with Bitcoin. There's just a really important point there. And then the other one that I'm going to try to make it as simple and quick as I, as I can, it's all related to this. And it's great that you brought up Lynn Alden's comment on that. She keeps some cash handy. Uh, when she, when she says she's certain it's going to go down in value, she's obviously not talking about her peer to peer electronic cash, which is, which is Bitcoin. She's talking about her fiat cash. And there, she makes a really important distinction. She's talking, I think she's talking about not keeping cash in the bank because there's no such thing as cash in the bank as Santander demonstrates there's money in the bank right and there's a there's a liability that they have to you but it's not your cash I mean you can keep it in a you can keep actual physical cash I suppose in a uh, safety deposit box and call that cash in the bank but the the number that appears on the electronic screen is not cash it is permission access to the financial system cash which we have mostly forgotten what it is, is permissionless bearer instrument that you can take and hand over to somebody who doesn't need to know your name, who doesn't need to know why you're there, and they hand over some goods because they're prepared to exchange those goods or, or services for that bearer instrument. And we have gotten so far to the point where we don't actually remember what cash is like like we've never had cash on the internet before there was never a bearer instrument that you could hand to somebody that's why you have to provide your email address and your credit card and everything and all a kyc email for everything that we do on the internet there's no simple exchange and it's such a pain in the ass to do all this stuff most of us will remember using cash at some point to walk into a store yeah you, you take something up to the counter you hand the bill to the person maybe they had to make some change and you walked out and they didn't ask you what your name was, what you intended to use it for, any of this other stuff. And that's a freedom and a, and a form of privacy that is very quickly slipping away and has, for the most part, pretty much entirely slipped away. And it's one of the biggest things that Bitcoin gives back. People talk about the, you know, the, the, the fact that it's reliable cash, which is good, which doesn't lose its purchasing power, which is good, which can't be inflated, which can't be stolen, all this other stuff. But it just it's an instrument that you can use like a normal human being and like normal human beings have since the invention of money. You know, beads didn't require KYC, AML, neither did salt or seashells or gold. And, and we're finally getting it back. Really helped make, drive home the point that we need cash. Well, kind of pause there. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Tomer. And, 
kind of, I think related to that, um, there were a couple things in the world of uh, CBDCs that um, uh, just hit the headlines recently. And I think all the things that Tomer just mentioned um, kind of play into CBDCs because that is the route that we're going on. Once we start saying, okay, the bank can decide you know, what you do with your money, everything needs to be recorded because there needs to be visibility into everything you do. Someone has to approve everything you do. The path that that's heading down ends up being just, you know, there's a centralized entity that controls the money and they say yes or no to every single transaction that happens. Um, so there were some headlines that um, uh, Turkey and Japan were, were piloting a digital currency uh, program that involved a, a national ID. Um, I obviously don't understand how people aren't absolutely terrified of, of this type of thing, but there have been a lot of crazy things that have happened in the world the past few years that I don't understand. Um, on this point, though, I did want to highlight to people, if you're looking for a laugh, check out the video that Russell Brand did on central bank digital currencies with the new uh, prime minister in the UK. One of these videos surfaced where he's trying to give a rah, 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 central bank digital currencies are so great. They're just like your money now. They're just digital. That's all. Um, Russell Brand, in his kind of amazing fashion, took apart the video, um, added in a lot of sarcasm. So I would highly recommend checking that one out. I, and on a, you know, on a more positive note, I do hope that it, getting these messages out to people, I think, has to happen in a lot of different formats. You know, there are some people who are uh, going to be more um, inclined to, to read long-form articles about it, but other people might have never heard of a central bank digital currency until they saw Russell Brand talk about it. So on a more positive note, I think people like him kind of ridiculing how absurd these ideas are does help to get these um, these these ideas out more in the mainstream. Okay, there there was another headline that I, I figured I would mention, um, and I believe uh, this was in the quick rundown of uh, Neil Jacobs this morning. Uh, Goldman Sachs, my former employer, is developing a crypto classification system with MSCI and coin metrics. Uh, they're going to launch it. It's going to be a data service uh, for institutional investors. Um, we were having a little bit of fun with this on the Swan side. You know, what might these categories be? Um, well, of course, it'll be shit coins. And then there are dog shit coins within that category. There are also cat shit coins. Uh, there might be horse shit coins, but kind of hard to keep track when we're, you know, upwards of 10,000 different shit coins out there. Um, you know, but, you know, realistically, uh, we could probably guess, you know, what's in there. They're probably going to separate it by stable coins and proof of stake. And, you know, this one's environmentally friendly, uh, especially with an entity like MSCI here. So this one I can speak to firsthand a bit because MSCI is one of the leaders in terms of uh, ESG data collection and, and data service. So I watched this happen for the last you know, several years that I was at Goldman. We partnered with MSCI because this was the way that you, uh, quote unquote, I can't even say it with a straight face, but this is the way you delivered ESG capabilities to your clients. So 
the play here was for a big asset manager. I was always on the asset management side. The play here is for a big asset manager like Goldman Sachs Asset Management, who manages, you know, somewhere between one and two trillion of assets. For us to go out to clients and say, okay, you want to invest in an ESG friendly way, whatever that means. Well, we partner with MSCI and we can give you the data to do that. Um, so th that's kind of MSCI's, um, that's their, their play. So I think they're looking to do something similar and it's going to say, okay, you want to invest in crypto. We have the best data to, to allow that to happen. Um, we'll see where that goes, but I think there will be probably some, some funny classifications that, that we can all laugh at when it gets announced. All right. Couple interesting ones just in terms of how um framing what has happened in the last few years in terms of uh big um market movements um in a few different ways there's three that i wanted to, to share one is that meta formerly known as facebook their share price is now where it was seven years ago so I know that some, you know, maybe Meta was never quite in the category of tech giant that like a, uh, you know, Apple and Amazon and a Google was, but they were basically, you know, next. They, they were part of the, the FANG stocks. So for this company to have a flat share price in a seven year time period, I, I think is a huge wake up call to people who were effectively using it as a quasi savings device. I think there were a lot of people out there who were just pouring money into tech stocks, whether that was QQQ or whether that was individual tech stocks. Um, I, I think they just thought, you know, these things are going to accrue value over time. You know, look at the historical returns, QQQ returns between 12 and 15% per year. And I think this is a huge, huge wake up call for them. And the other one I'll mention is uh, there was a great chart uh, that was put out on Twitter. MicroStrategy, if you look at their share price performance since August of 2020, that's when they first announced their Bitcoin purchasing strategy. It's up over 100%, somewhere around 115% since then. And there's really not many companies that are up anywhere in that realm, maybe some energy companies. But... When, when you zoom out and look at the time period for MicroStrategy, um, it, it's pretty impressive uh, results. Anders? Yeah, it, it's, it's really a great point you have here with, uh, with Meta um, because under this diluting fiat currency central banking system, uh, people, just to not lose purchasing power, of the money they have left over at the end of the month, just to not lose purchasing power, they need to now understand companies and investing in stocks or have a, a, a lot of cash accumulated for down paying on a home, which most people don't have anymore with home prices being so high, which they are because of the artificially low interest rate. So what I'm trying to say is um, the current system is just uh, terrible for people in so many ways. And one of them is, you need to be an expert in something to be able to just st store the value of your savings. Um, and, and that's going to change when Bitcoin becomes the standard. It is the best store of value the world has ever seen. And, and what, one of them is 
because it can't be diluted. And there's not that many Bitcoins left to be mined. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, 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 Bitcoin is going to really do so much good on so many levels. That's all I wanted to say. If I could jump in, maybe with like what I think is a really interesting paradox. So Mark Zuckerberg founds Facebook. He creates this, some, this, something incredible out of a little idea in, in a dorm room, takes it public in, I think, 2012 at $100 billion. But that's never good. In, <laughs> the stock market is like, what have, what have you done for me lately? Right. So he's got to constantly come up with ideas uh, to make Facebook more valuable, not better, more valuable. And for those of us who've been using it for a long time or are no longer using it, but we're using it actively once, it keeps getting worse in order to become more valuable until eventually it stops being more valuable because it's become so bad that nobody uses it anymore. And the, the paradox is, is this. Bitcoin, have a, there's no Mark Zuckerberg of, of Bitcoin. There's no one putting Bitcoin under pressure to change all the time and come up with new features to make it more valuable. Its value is what is what it is. And yet its value, if you compare it to where it was seven years ago, um, let's just see, seven years ago was 2015. Is that correct? We're somewhere at most in the $600 price range. That's done a lot better than flat versus uh, versus Facebook, which has had tens of thousands of people racking their brains, investing capital, doing mergers and acquisitions, all these things to ultimately make it no more valuable than it was back then and likely continuing to decline in value, whereas nobody has been in charge of Bitcoin and it's gone from $600 or so to $20,000. Just like that, that to me is the amazing, is really the amazing thing. And, and it's a trend that will that we can expect to continue only because no nobody's going to be put in charge of it and make and make mistakes basically yeah i think i think this highlights one of what i think is the biggest misconceptions in all of finance and economics which is there's a difference between saving and investing and I know all the Bitcoin community is well aware of that. Um, but speaking as someone who worked in traditional finance for many years, this is lost on them. Uh, they, they wouldn't really understand this concept, uh, not, not right away at least. Um, and as Tomer went through, when you invest in a company, there, you have to you know, show results and, and not just once. There, there's, you know, every quarter, every year, you've got to be uh, you know, coming through with, with your business strategy and all of the risks that are associated with making an investment, you know, whatever, whatever they are, risk, risk from competition, risk from uh, regulators, risk from uh, uh, headlines, risk from, you know, someone in management does something crazy, uh, someone in the accounting department commits fraud, all of these things that come with investing in a, in a company um, should not be present when you are saving in, in a monetary asset. That, and that's what makes saving completely different from investing. Uh, and shout out to Parker Lewis's article, Bitcoin is the great definancialization that goes through all of these different uh, ideas. That's probably a top five favorite uh, Bitcoin article for myself. Definitely recommend anyone check that out if they haven't. Um, but this, this concept has been lost on people because they thought, 
you know, my SPY index fund, my QQQ index fund goes up eight to 15% per year for a, a, you know, a decade in a row, what could go wrong? Um, but I think people are now learning, uh, there are many things that, that could go wrong and Facebook's share price being flat on, on a seven year, uh, timeframe is, uh, is case in point there. I would just kind of want to follow up with one more point because we see like, there's a lot of discussion in the Bitcoin space about obviously altcoins and and there are people who prefer Ethereum because they are making interventions into their systems or changing it to try to generate a return on investment. Like they have their ultrasound uh, monetary policy by which they're burning fees and taking away miners and making all these changes that are unpredictable in the future and focused on short-term price mo price movements, which is exactly the same sort of thing that Mark Zuckerberg has had to focus on. He's tried to look for some longer-term things, but he's been forced to, to make something happen because he can. And, and like I think this is the point I'm trying to make. Because no one can mess with Bitcoin, no one will mess with Bitcoin, right? No one will screw it up. Um, and the more people you put in charge of making changes to make something better, the sooner they're going to screw it up. And that, and that's what's, that's what basically has happened to all these companies or all these other assets that, that they just, people can't leave a good thing well enough alone, or they can't create as good a thing uh, to begin with. And that's what really makes Bitcoin unique amongst all of these things, even, even cash, because cash, we've also got all these people who can change it, making all these changes allegedly for the better, uh, but also always coming up for the worse. Or almost always. Right on. Let's go to Lisa and then serve for Jim. Yeah, I think it's it's also, guys, it's first of all, people just broadly do not understand the investment uh, paradigm, right? We have fancy television shows where they talk about all sorts of issues that probably aren't relevant to somebody's daily life, yet we all tune in and, and have this on all day long. And we all piled into these index funds just in mass, trusted our financial advisor because obviously they got a job at Wells Fargo and they're a financial advisor and I'm not, so therefore I should trust them, which is just completely odd logic. Um, I think this is like the greatest thing about Bitcoin is, is shows like this where we just you know, you guys are breaking this down. Um, Tomer's writing, Parker's writing, just like calling out the lunacy of, all right, we all bought into this collective hallucination. Um, but now there's a better, there's a better answer. And it just, it's so hopeful that Bitcoin is, is here and you don't have to have an MBA. I mean, John, you worked at, um, you know, probably arguably the best bulge bracket firm on the planet. Lots of folks here have worked in those firms, but you don't have to be an investment banker. You don't have to have any sort of experience to just understand the purity and the truth that is Bitcoin and just being able to, you know, we've all put the oxygen masks on ourselves, right? Like we all get it. We all understand what we're up against and just to continue to help others put the oxygen mask on themselves so that they can go forward and protect their families and, and protect their financial future, I, I really think is the way. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, the purpose of almost every Bitcoiner that I've met is, you know, let's just go talk about Bitcoin. Let's break it down. Let's make it really easy for folks. Let's make it accessible. Um, 
and you know let's give everybody the opportunity uh, to have a, you know this to, to reverse this wealth transfer to just finally change the um, Quintilian effect and all all of that all of what has existed before. Uh, it's, it's possible to just, we can, we can make it go away by just speaking the truth, continuing to speak the truth. And I'm just super, super hopeful. I, I, I do think though, touching back quickly to your comment on the DCA, it's it, like, we think about, okay, whether I should pile in or whether I should DCA, but I think most people are just trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills, you know? And when you talk about a CBDC, they don't understand if I look at, you know, my parents who are retired and live on a fixed income, like for them having a digital dollar where somebody deposits their money, I can see how they would view that as a benefit. I view that as horrific, but they would probably view it as a more convenient way to get paid. And certainly if the government's going to continue to give them stimulus money, they're going to be happy about it. Uh, so I don't know, just extending folks lots of grace as we go through this process, I think is the way. And you guys do an amazing job here doing that every day. That, that's very well said, Lisa. Um, good summary. And yeah, I think extending people grace is important, uh, especially people who are not going to be as deep in the world of Bitcoin and the existing monetary system. If someone you know says, hey, CBDCs don't sound so bad. You know, don't jump on them and say, hey, you idiot, it's a dystopian net. You know, don't don't go there right away. Uh, maybe, maybe start uh, a little bit more, you know, kind and, and just explain to them in a, 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 a slower, nicer way where that could go wrong. Um, and I think you'll win a lot more friends that way. Uh, Surfer Jim, what do you got? Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> Forgive me if I restate something that somebody else might have said. I wasn't able to fully pay attention earlier uh, in this discussion. But regarding the topic uh, currently, um, I what we have for the first time in human history was, well, well, for anybody living on this planet today, no one's really ever seen uh, a brand new money show up on the planet that people have to consider. But because it was discovered by humans, because it runs on computers, because it looks like a technology, it also looks like this thing called an investment. Let's buy some of this and make money off of it. What most people just are not seeing is that Bitcoin is the money. Um, and what they would be buying into is a future monetary network that will help improve humanity. So that's a, a deep narrative that most people don't spend enough time trying to grasp and we've got the traditional you know tradfi uh, industry at every level looking at this thing exactly like that this is an investment you need to buy some of this you need to buy a big purchase you need to dca it's all the same um rhetoric the same dialogue the same approach to this new thing which is essentially like a digital rock it just sits there it doesn't do anything the only reason you own it is because you, it has utility, like gold, right? You own it because you can use it for a thing called money into the future. Gold itself is, is an investment only to the extent that it holds or increases in its purchasing power. There's no people behind gold that make it go up and down because they've added a new feature, like Tomer was saying regarding Facebook. But people in the gold industry that own businesses that produce and distribute gold 
they have people that make decisions that have a business model that may have value and that somebody might want to invest for a return on the profitability of that business that handles this thing called gold. So there's lots of businesses around Bitcoin that people can invest in. And maybe those businesses, as they help promote this digital rock around the world that people can own and it might help their lives, they might be profitable in their venture to help spread the word about Bitcoin or help give it additional utility outside of the base layer blockchain, which op operates at this point on its own without anybody doing anything, just like gold sitting in the ground. You can go get some if you want. No one can stop you, essentially. Same with Bitcoin. It's an open source protocol for the, the creation and transfer of digital files within a closed loop system. That's all it is. It's a closed loop system. You can join it. You can use it. You can work with it if you follow the rules and you can own some digital files. They may or may not have some value to you in the real world, but it is not an investment like a traditional investment. It's owning a digital file that may or may not give you some utility in the future. The people that are operating around Bitcoin don't get to add any new features necessarily, although that's another discussion. There are features that can get added at the base layer sometimes. But essentially, it's more like a digital rock that just sits there. So it's the narrative of trying to explain to people, this is not an investment like you're used to. You're buying units of a closed-loop system that no one can inflate because it might be the world's monetary system, and you're going to want as many of those units as possible. So we have a lot of layers which, with which we need to describe this system, to explain it to people, to get people to see it. And as a result... This digital asset we call Bitcoin fluctuates in its exchange value for all other currencies as people are beginning to learn and adopt it. And of course, people that want to just trade and make more fiat dollars and the price, the exchange rate constantly fluctuates all the time, just like an investment. Right. A lot more volatile than, say, gold, which has been around for thousands and thousands of years, which does still trade as a commodity. Right. As a as a dumb rock. Uh, but it doesn't have huge gains, huge returns over long periods of time. It's just steady, right? Which is kind of what Bitcoin will end up being someday out into the future when everybody gets it and it's just there being used. It will have a very stable monetary value or purchasing power value. Uh, but we're just not there yet. So we're going through the tumultuous time of the adoption of people get grasping what the heck this even is. And it's folks like us who go over the over the hill. We get over the hump and eventually go, Okay, this is way more than number go up technology. This is just way, way more. And so that's why we're here every day. We're trying to educate people. That's why I'm in this space. I mean, I don't have to do this. I got a construction company. I keep making fiat dollars. My whole future is wrapped around Bitcoin and what it means to humanity. So I, I just want to get the word out at every level, every description anybody could say about this to help people understand. You know, I say it my way. Maybe it resonates with somebody, but there's a, enough smart people around here that say it well. And that's what we're doing here. We're trying to get people to see this bigger picture. I really appreciate you guys having me on all the time and the fact that you're here trying to educate the world every day with some of the smartest people around. This is fantastic. I feel blessed to be here. I've said enough. Thank you for having me. On to the next person. Awesome, Jim. Thank you for that. Yeah, if anyone needs to be educated on Bitcoin, monetary history, or if they need their home renovated, Surfer Jim is your guy. Uh, he's a renaissance man, I would say. Um, no, that was fantastic. Uh, the one thing I would add to it is while we're in this phase where uh, Bitcoin is not, you know, has not reached the, the point of becoming gold where it is more stable, 
people do need to be cognizant of not getting overextended, not using leverage, not finding themselves in a position where they have to sell some of their Bitcoin because they accumulated too much. But that's more of a you know financial planning question. But I think that that is something for for people to to be aware of. So we are coming up on uh, almost ten forty five here. Um, we are going to have our featured guest um, Foundation Devices is going to be joining us quite soon, um, if not already. So given that it is basically uh, ten forty five here, we'll hit announcements and then we'll move into our featured guests. Um, and I will mention one more thing before I hit the announcements. This was the third um, uh, item that I was going to mention about uh, just crazy market stats. So Saifedine, uh tweeted this recently. He said, if you invested 10K in an iShares U.S. Treasury bond ETF 10 years ago and you reinvested all the income, you would have about $10,500 today. And then in typical Saifedean fashion, he said, this is the risk-free, quote-unquote, risk-free bedrock of the portfolio of all the idiots who call Bitcoin a scam. Um, so that is very on-brand for Saifedean, but I just wanted to, to share that one. That was the third uh, market stat that I wanted to share with everyone. All right, let's move into announcements. So for anyone who is just tuning in, uh, this is Cafe Bitcoin, hosted by Swan Bitcoin. This is the place for morning news. It's the preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Uh, we do this on Twitter spaces at 10 a.m. Eastern, um, all five days of the work week. We also turn into a podcast. You can find it on Sp uh, Fountain. Fountain, Spotify, Apple, um, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, of course, we are going to mention Pacific Bitcoin, which is officially next week. Uh, November 10th and 11th. That is Thursday and Friday next week, but there's going to be a lot going on in LA that whole week. Um, you can use promo code CAFE for a discount. If you're feeling the FOMO and you haven't bought a ticket yet and you want to make a last minute trip to LA, would highly recommend you do it to meet with some like-minded Bitcoiners who are passionate about probably all the same things that you're passionate about. Um, you know, I mentioned there's going to be other things going on besides the official conference itself. One of them, um, if you like to lift or you like CrossFit, uh, send a DM to Dante Cook, who's part of the Swan private team. Um, also, he's focusing on some of the Swan business efforts, um, some really cool stuff going on there. But if you want to go lift with someone like Dante or Larry Lepard, um, send Dante a DM. Send me a DM and we'll, we'll hook you up with that. Um, okay, some additional announcements here. Um, we have a few... Uh, uh, sponsors to mention, um, some great sponsors who have stepped up to the plate. We have um, Ledin, we have Prime Trust, we have Ibex, who are sponsoring Pacific Bitcoin, and they are going to be hooking up vendors so that attendees can pay with Lightning. And of course, um, one of our sponsors is Foundation, and you're going to be hearing from Lily and Seth um, in just a couple minutes here. So thank you to all of our sponsors for Pacific Bitcoin. Um, and I will pass it over to, uh, to Jacob right now. Well, I'd say in support of the conference, you know, I don't travel to these things very often. Hey, Dad, when you gonna stop playing? Everybody that I wanted to meet in the Bitcoin world seemed to be there. And a lot of a lot of people reached out to me and said I should come. And then I looked at how many Bitcoiners were getting excited about it. And I thought, I didn't really want to miss this. It seems like it's going to be the event of the year. 
should be a good time. Love it. Michael Saylor, music producer, Bitcoiner, CEO of a company. Incredible. Maybe he's not even CEO anymore. I forget. Um, okay. Also, there's going to be side events going on. As I mentioned, it is, there's a lot going on in addition to the conference itself. So Wednesday, there's a Thank God for Bitcoin event. There's a Stack Chain hackathon. There's going to be a pleb party with Anders and a lot of other awesome characters. Um, Thursday, there's going to be a VIP party at night. Um, VIP tickets get you into everything at the conference, including some exclusive events. Um, there will be some events going on Friday night. And then Saturday, there's going to be a VIP wrap party as well as a pleb beach hangout. Um, so there's a lot going on here. We are running a giveaway of one ticket per week. You can go to swan.com slash PB giveaway. Um, and if you're considering a VIP, VIP ticket, shoot me a DM. Um, if you're already a Swan client and you have a rep, definitely reach out to them um, and they can make sure to get you uh, the latest dis discount code um, if you DM anyone, um, like, like I said, myself or anyone on the Swan team. So um, I see Lily up here, which is fantastic. I see Seth up here. Um, welcome to the show, guys. Great to have you. Hey, thanks for having us on. Great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Great to have you. So um, you guys are obviously a sponsor for Pacific Bitcoin, which is fantastic. Um, we're all looking forward to seeing um, what's going to be going on there. So that's definitely one of the things that we would love for you guys to cover. Um, what to expect from Foundation at Pacific Bitcoin, um, experiences from past Bitcoin events that, that you guys have done. Um, but before we go into that, just anyone who is maybe a little less familiar with Foundation, would you guys mind giving the quick background on yourselves? What is Foundation, Passport, Envoy, and some of the other highlights? Yeah, no problem. So I'm head of business development at Foundation. Uh, just to cover our company a little bit, uh, we build products that make Bitcoin and decentralized technologies accessible to everyone. So in this digitized world, you know, control over your money and data also known as digital sovereignty, is a necessity to becoming truly free. So we make it easy for people to reclaim that sovereignty with our products. So our current products are Passport, our Bitcoin hardware wallet, and Envoy, Passport's mobile companion app, and simple Bitcoin wallet. Passport is fully open source, and it is air-gapped via QR codes. So that means it never touches a computer, no cables, Wi-Fi, or Bluetooth required. Envoy is our app. It's privacy focused. It connects to Tor by default and makes it easy to transact with Passport. It also has education built in, but of course you can connect Passport to any wallet of your choice, like Sparrow Wallet or Blue Wallet, Wasabi, whatever it is. Awesome. Thanks for the rundown there. And we obviously love the education side of things at Swan. We are huge on that. So I think it's fantastic to see that, that you guys are doing uh, similar things. Um, you guys have tried to really streamline the process for uh, you know, making that learning curve a little bit quicker, um, which I think is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, can you give us some of the latest updates on the Passport 2? Yeah. So first thing is 
We briefly paused shipping for batch two, but now it's resumed and production is ramped up. Our latest firmware release includes the extensions menu. So that includes a CASA extension and account page, plus a Postmix extension and account page. So the Postmix extension lets you mix with Whirlpool direct to cold storage. Uh, when you enable the Postmix extension, it adds a new Postmix account on Passport that Sparrow Wallet can then mix to. You can then make that seed hot at any time in the future to continue mixing for free. Simply load that seed into the Whirlpool client to continue mixing. This just makes it so much easier for people to mix their coins and like manage their Postmix account, like you know, via our offerings of Whirlpool. Yeah, one quick thing to add there is uh, I think it's really important that people understand that you don't have to choose between easy, secure custody and privacy. And I think that's something that's kind of been the the default in the past. So we're trying to, to really simplify that process for people so that when you're storing storing those sats, when you're storing Bitcoin um, or when you're spending it, you can gain strong privacy at the same time. So that this post-mix, post-mix extension is something that, that I've been using recently so that Every time I receive Bitcoin, I can go and mix it and then mix it after a set number of rounds to gain stronger privacy for that specific coin, mix it straight to my passport without having to actually touch my passport at all. Um, so it's, it's a really clean process for ensuring that the, the stack that you have is private, is protected not only from hackers, but also just from prying eyes. And I think that's a really powerful combination uh, that, that we've been able to hit here and, and are working on expanding on as well. Yeah, and uh, Whirlpool is on our roadmap for Envoy, so look out for that. Uh, last big announcement is Foundation gift cards are now available on Coin Cards, BitRefill, and in the Bitcoin Company app. So you can get 10% rewards on all these sites. It's a great way to buy Passport uh, privately or to buy it with a discount if you just want to stack some extra sets. Great. And for people out there who may be, uh, let's say, you know, they have their Bitcoin in third party custody or they even have done self custody, but maybe they've used some other devices out there and they're saying, hey, I would like to try a foundation device and learn more about it. Where's the first place that you would recommend that they go? Is it your website? Is there, uh, you know, a certain video they should watch? Um, um, can you guys talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the first place I would send them is our website just to get, you know, the background on, you know, what our products are and for them to really figure out if that product is right for them. And then I would send them to our YouTube channel and send them our unboxing videos. We have a two-part unboxing video setup video, and it just goes through that setup process. These videos are less than five minutes each. And that's how our device is designed. It's designed so that they can get set up with secure self-custody in less than five minutes. And if anyone has questions, they can DM the foundation account, send us a message on Telegram, send us a message on email. Or if they're privacy focused, they can send us a PGP um, encrypted email. Very cool. There's one sentence that I noticed on your website, which uh, I quite liked, which was the tech industry has evolved into a centralized, invasive pro censorship hellscape. Um, That is well said. Um, So for anyone who's wondering if uh, foundation matches up with your values, I would say that, uh, you know, based on that, 
sentence on their website certainly matches with my values. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to hit on in terms of, uh, you know, products, offerings, um, before we t uh, move into some uh, chatting about Pacific Bitcoin? Um, first of all, it's great that you noticed that change because I wrote that. <laughs> and, you know, it's true. <laughs> like, we have just gotten so far off and we need to swing the pendulum back to something that is more representative of the principles that really started the early internet and these tech companies. But just last announcements for people who are outside the U.S. and want to avoid import fees, higher shipping costs, you can place an order with one of our resellers. Uh, we have that listed on our site. And then we also offer a concierge service. So this is a service for people who want a more hands-on um, and guided learning experience. So our head of support will walk you through passport setup, firmware updates, backing up your passport and answer any questions you might have that, that are related to passport or are just related to Bitcoin in general. This is a good option for like new people, maybe older uh, people in your family that just prefer like that one-on-one -on -one connection with another person. And you can just add that in um, in the checkout section. It's super easy. Yeah, another quick thing I'll highlight too is is just that the the combination of Envoy and Passport is a really powerful one, and it it brings a very user friendly experience to using a hardware wallet. I think that's another thing that we usually sacrifice when we use a hardware wallet is that the the user experience either on the device or how you connect it to wallets is just it's complex. It's not intuitive based on what you're used to with other devices. Uh, and I really love the Passport pairs well with Envoy, but also with other wallets. And like I'm a huge Sparrow wallet fan on desktop. Um, and so I use Sparrow Wallet for managing all of my funds on Passport day to day and then Envoy as I go. Um, but it's a, it's a really clean combination and pairs well with lots and lots of popular wallets, um, including Envoy, but obviously lots of others as well. Uh, so I, I really enjoy that as well. Great. Thanks for highlighting that. Now, we definitely want to chat a little bit about uh, Pacific Bitcoin, um, where, where Foundation is a sponsor, which is awesome. Um, what can people who are going to the conference expect to see from Foundation? Um, what have you guys experienced at conferences in the past? Um, I, when I say conferences, I mean, you know, Bitcoin events. Um, would love to hear you guys uh, chat about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So for this conference, we are going to have a booth and at our booth, we're going to have devices that people can come demo. Uh, we're also going to be giving out merch at our booth, not generic stuff this time. Um, I got the design team involved and we created some really cool designs. So you should come check us out. We're also doing like a short uh, like demo and workshop on stage. Honestly, the last the only conference I was at was Bitcoin Miami and the reception was um, so great. Like people really under started to understand like why uh, self-custody was important and being able to actually like test and interact with the device just makes it um, like a better experience. And we took a lot of our customers feedback and we incorporate that, you know, in our firmware updates, we incorporate that in, in design so I'm really excited to see what everybody thinks about Batch 2. 
It's also just a great chance. No, go ahead. Sorry, are you going to have actual units uh, batch two for sale at Pacific Fish Point? So we won't have units for sale just because we had some like issues in production and we're trying to get our units out to as many customers who already placed orders as we possibly can. But, you know, we will have those issues resolved in a couple months and we'll have units for sale in future events like Bitcoin Miami. Seth, do you have something? Yeah, I was just going to add, it's also a great chance to just get to know some of the team behind Foundation. And I think that's an, an important piece of whenever you're interacting with a, a Bitcoin company is to understand who's behind it, what their ethos is, how it matches up with with how you approach Bitcoin and how you approach the world. Because um, obviously our software and our hardware are open source, um, which, is, which is great and very important, but obviously most people can't actually read source code and understand what it does or read through hardware manifests and understand what how it works so understanding the people behind it and getting to know them can help to build trust in the company and build trust in the products we're using and then we want to help you verify as much as possible what we put out of course but um, getting that chance to get to know the people behind these companies and, and in particular behind foundation i think is a really important piece of that so i'm excited to do that and to just get to know some customers and potential customers and, and hear one-on-one direct feedback as people um, get to use Passport and Envoys. That's, like Lily said, really important to to our process as we improve what we do and help to onboard more and more sovereign individuals. That's a great point, Seth. And um, that makes me think to ask, would you guys be able to chat a little bit about, you know, all these different uh, hardware device uh, manufacturers, people can make different decisions as they build their product and their offering. And, you know, I think a lot of these things come down to trade-offs. It, it's hard to argue that there's like a perfect solution uh, in, the, in this world. But could you talk a little bit about maybe where Foundation decided to make, you know, one type of trade-off and say, we're going to maximize this versus versus this, whereas maybe some other players you don't have to name names, but maybe some other uh, companies out there in the same industry have taken a different approach. Yeah, I can speak a little bit uh, about this. Obviously, you know, with the introduction of Envoy, we've chosen to go a route that's more like friendly to the more normie um, Bitcoiner. Like we don't want them to compromise you know, on security just to get a better user experience versus devices like, you know, Trezor and Ledger had have been the standard for a user-friendly device for a long time. And I think with Envoy, we truly challenge that. But, you know, part of that focus on, you know, building out our own app is less features in our device versus like, you know, another competitor. They cater more to like advanced users and like, it's just, it's not about us just not putting in these features, but just delaying that on the roadmap to focus more on creating the perfect user experience. One thing that we haven't gotten around to supporting yet is, is BIP85 and like that's in the process. But say we didn't build out Envoy, that would have already been implemented. But then the user wouldn't have been able to have an out-of-the-box solution that includes 
both the hardware and software, and they would have to seek out something like uh, Blue Wallet or Sparrow, which can be intimidating. You had just gotten something in the mail, and then you have to figure out what else you need. We like to have that in one box. Yeah, one more quick thing to clarify, too, is that like it always certainly is a game of trade-offs when you're building out any product or service. Um, but something I think to clarify is that the the really excellent user experience that you get with Passport and with Envoy doesn't come at the sacrifice of security. We have a very similar security model to other hardware wallets out there, um, but we've, we've focused very hard on making open source hardware, but doing it in a very secure way and benefiting from that open sourcing to provide a stronger wallet to people. Uh, and that that's not sacrifice to improve user experience, but we've instead focused on improving user experience through simplifying pairing with whatever your favorite wallet is so that you can continue to use the wallets that you love, but to add the security of a hardware wallet and passport. Um, and then obviously bringing very solid, very approachable, very accessible user experience through Envoy itself and actually managing your passport device. Um, so those things don't come at the expense of security, but um, yeah, it's it's not, I guess it's not always a game of trade-offs. So we've tried to to maintain that strong security, but not make it something that only the most advanced Bitcoiners can use. Uh, and that's something that I think is is really important because we want as many people as possible to be able to reclaim digital sovereignty. Uh, and if things are locked behind very complex uh, hardware, behind very complex command line interfaces, and and only being able to use one very obscure wallet, software, that kind of thing, we limit who can actually reclaim that digital sovereignty to, to more advanced users. And we, we don't want it to be gated by technical savvy. We want anyone to be able to step in and, and be able to regain these things. Um, so that's that's why we pushed really hard, I think, on the user experience aspect of things um, while retaining strong security. That's a, that's a great clarification. Thank you. Um, let's go to uh, Peter. And by the way, anyone who wants to ask a question, would love to hear questions from from anyone who has them. We probably have another five to ten minutes um, with Lily and Seth from Foundation. Uh, Peter, what do you got? So I, I just want to um, let you know that uh, first of all, I'm a boomer, and in the last um, hour or so, I just was setting up my my batch to uh, passport, and uh, it, I, I really like the I, I really like the retro Nokia feel of the thing, um, the, the the phone kind of feel to it. It's it's very approachable for me. The setup was relatively easy. There's a there's a, I, I'm not going to make this about my you know I'm not asking you guys questions or anything. I just want to say that one of the there was a couple of snags as I was as I was setting up. One was the um, uh, pairing with the uh, um, with the Envoy, searching for the address, I didn't realize that because my seed phrase that I had imported, you know, already had a bunch of addresses being used, that it's looking for the next never used address. I didn't realize that. And I didn't kind of understand how it was searching through, um, iterating through the addresses, looking for the next one. I did go to the to the um, Telegram group and was very quickly told what to do. So that was a relatively easy. And then the, the other thing is, is that I'm not sure about, it's kind of hard. Is there a document? I guess the question I'm, I'm really looking for, is there a page that I can go to for documentation to, to look at things? Cause I'm not quite sure. So Envoy is a client, like Sparrow is a client. Is that, is, if I'm understanding that correctly, because I'm a, I'm a Sparrow user. Yeah. So I can, I can chime in real quick there. Um, so there is a support site that has lots of, lots of great documentation and, and video walkthroughs. 
Uh, it's actually one of the pinned tweets in the spaces. Um, so if you look there, you'll see a thread that starts off with taking personal responsibility. Um, so it's linked in there. If you go to the website and you click support at the top right, it'll also take you to that that support website that has all that documentation there. I think that one thing with searching for deeper addresses is not there. So I'll, I'll work with our support team and make sure that we get docs added in around that. Um, but that is a unique thing where if you're not using a fresh seed and you're using one that already exists, you have to keep going until you find an unused address. Uh, so it's a little bit of a, a quirk, a, a good one, because you want to make sure again that that, that seed phrase is seed phrase is properly imported, uh, but we'll make sure to fill out docs there. And then yes, Envoy is a, it's a fully featured Bitcoin wallet that pairs with Passport, um, but you are also welcome to pair it with other wallets. Like I said, I, I mostly use Sparrow Wallet since I, I really like the kind of the, the power user features of that, uh, but it'll, it'll pair with pretty much uh, all of the major wallets right now. Um, but Envoy makes it really simple since you can manage your Passport and manage your funds all in the same app quite easily. Great, thank you so much. I also wanted to say that the for the the importing the seed process, the um, ability for the passport to um, kind of help you recognize what the seed word is, so you don't have to go through and and type in every single um, letter is is also uh, an excellent addition. Yeah, one of those awesome things about having more keys and a bigger screen than than most other devices, it really simplifies those kinds of more complex use cases uh, and makes it a lot easier for you. That was great. Thanks for thanks for chiming in with that question, Peter. Tomer, do you have something? Yeah, and just really quick. I mean, the product looks amazing. I'm glad to see that it's that a new batch is coming out. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it in person at Pacific Bitcoin. Um, I, it just seems to me like having more and more of these devices that are simple and that do come from different manufacturers is such a great option for people who want to store some of their Bitcoin in one place and some in the other or have an easy and reliable multi-sig setup that it really is, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's less about the competition between different makers of these wallets and the optionality that you have as a user uh, from from being able to own uh, several, several of them. And so having more peace of mind that if something turns out to be wrong with one manufacturer at some point, you don't have a risk of loss of funds uh, if, you're, if you're going to some, uh, some other place. So it's, uh, it's great to see another easy to use uh, self-custody solution out there that's really open and highly compatible. So just, I really applaud your guys' efforts. Yeah. And I would just say, I think, I think it's an awesome experience for anyone who is coming to Pacific Bitcoin and has the opportunity to see it firsthand, but not have the stress of knowing that they're, you know, setting it up for themselves. You get to see someone um, who is very familiar with the device you know, operated in front of you. It's just kind of, you know, being in watcher mode, I think is is a great way to have an introduction to how these things work. So um, I certainly am looking forward to um, seeing that myself at Pacific Bitcoin. Thank you both so much for your comments. And yeah, I completely agree. It's good to have optionality and I use like four different wallets for different things. So yeah, that's great. Looks like we've got a, a question from uh, from Humble. What do you got? It actually is really just following up what Tomer had said. Um, I just want to say you guys did an absolutely phenomenal design. I, I mean, this is just beautiful. 
it does not look intimidating. You're not getting it. And like, okay, so now what do I need to do with this? Like it's got that look and feel of a phone. And so automatically the psyche is like, oh, good. Well, this is pretty familiar and I can do something with this. And just looking at the screen, it is, you did a great job with it being intuitive. So I will be purchasing one of these as well. I can't wait to um, actually show some of my family members because I think this is much less scary for them. So bravo guys. Thanks. Humble, do you have one? You don't have one in your hand yet? No, no, I'm looking at the website when you, and I'm just like floored. When you <laughs> when so you excited. have it in your when you have it in your hand, I mean it it actually you know, I remember phones that were like this and it actually feels it, it's actually quite nice tactile uh, ta uh in your hand. It looks like it would be. It looks very familiar, which is what I like. Sometimes. Uh, thanks so much for your feedback and I'm sure you're going to love it. I guess like it's a good time to shill the Cafe Bitcoin uh, discount code. You can use that code for $15 off. And the way I would do this is buy a gift card for 10% rewards and then use this code and save money. Excellent. Awesome. Okay, well... I, we're coming up on 11.15 Eastern here. Um, any closing comments from Lily and Seth? Uh, the floor is yours, but thank you guys so much for coming. Um, and uh, yeah, anything you'd like to end with, please. Yeah, I just want to thank you guys for having us on. Um, it's always a good time, and I, I really appreciate that. I love talking to other members of the community, other really passionate Bitcoiners. Uh, my only comment is, you can reach out to any of us um, personally uh, via DM and we'll be happy to like answer questions. You can also join our Telegram chat at Foundation Devices and talk to other people, get your questions answered. Um, yeah, that's all I have. Uh, I'm going to let Seth add something if he wants. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to mention uh, uh, again a huge thank you for for having us on and letting us talk about foundation and, and what we're focused on here. Uh, and really excited for Pacific Bitcoin and for getting to to meet hopefully many of you uh, and show off the foundation passport and Envoy and, and let you kind of get your your hands on the device in a unique way there. Um, so excited for that. And like Lily said, uh, I'm always game to chat with people. Obviously, my focus in this space has been privacy. So if you have privacy specific questions around passport or around Envoy, I'm happy to answer those as well. Um, but feel free to reach out. Uh, we're all approachable and accessible and, and really excited uh, in how we're able to help people to, to fight back and to, to regain sovereignty. That's fantastic. Yeah, really exciting stuff you guys are working on. Um, love following what you're doing and very much looking forward to seeing you at Pacific Bitcoin. So thanks again for joining today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Okay, we are at uh, 11.15. Um, I think we've done probably enough announcements at this point. Um, but for anyone tuning in, Cafe Bitcoin, place for morning news, preferred hangout, some of the smartest minds in the industry. And normally on Fridays, we do Swan Private Macro Friday um, for the second hour, which we are um, essentially going to hop into right now for the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Um, so, so yeah, we can, um, we can transition into those topics. And when we talk about macro, um, you know, that is a very 
vague word can mean many different things to different people. But typically, we end up talking about a mix of what is going on in the world of traditional financial markets, what is going on with central bank policy, what is going on with uh, recent data releases. Um, but we also talk about economic, um, really more foundational economic concepts as well. Um, and I think those are both important because uh, I certainly saw this firsthand in my time when I was at Goldman. There's a lot of people who are so focused on the latest data release. And that's you know fine if you're trying to analyze one particular part of the financial world, but you don't want to miss the forest for the trees, as they say. Um, so I think it's important to have a mix of talking about these individual data releases that are happening in real time, but also having conversations about uh, more economic foundational things, um, because those are um, how we improve the system going forward. So with that said, um, one of the uh, more macro headlines that I saw recently, which I think is a good one to kick off with because we can go a bunch of different directions with this one, but there was a headline um, in the last day or two from uh, The Economist, and they said, the Federal Reserve has been formally shooting for 2% uh, inflation since 2012, and some economists argue that the target should be higher. So, um, you know, as I said, we can go a lot of different directions with this. We can go the more economic foundational route, which is why the hell were they shooting for 2% consumer price increases in the first place? Um, but um, more, you know, just topical short-term um, thinking, this is one of, you know, we've been talking about how inflation measured by consumer prices is likely going to run hot for a lot longer than the quote-unquote experts think. You know, the central bank, the Fed has also already admitted that inflation is not transitory, um, so, and, and there are many people who think that we may have an, a quote-unquote inflationary decade. Um, so this might be some of these types of headlines that you see from outlets like The Economist um, are kind of setting the table for it to become acceptable that the quote-unquote target level of consumer price increases goes above 2%. So you might see more stories out there like this, um, but there's a lot more that we could say here. And uh, Pubby, uh, what do you have? Hey, uh, good morning, guys. Uh, great, to, great to be here, as always. Hey, I, not much original, but it's funny you bring this up because I just happened to come across a tweet, the tweet from uh, Saifedean asking, if 2% inflation is better than 0%, why is 4% not better than 2%? Why not 8%? And why not 20%? I just thought that was hilarious. I don't know if you guys have seen that one by him yet. <laughs> Yeah, it just it doesn't even just pass even the common sense test. Um, when when you realize that two percent was you know totally pulled out of nowhere, then you start seeing them justify that somehow four or five percent is better. You you end up not not just realizing that four or five percent is not better, but that there was no real justification for two percent to begin with, and their argument just kind of crumbles on its own. Anders. Yeah, I want to say, I guess the reason they think 2% is better is so we don't really realize uh, that we're stolen from uh, every single day, every single year. And that's 
and that's really it, right? It's just to the advantage for us not to question it. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what you just made me think of, Anders, is uh, this is why I do think talking about the principles of sound money is so important. Um, if I, you know, we're going to take a bigger picture view here. I think there's two ways that someone could start to really uh, get behind Bitcoin, get enthusiastic about Bitcoin. Uh, I hesitate to use the word understand, but, you know, but I'll say understand Bitcoin because it is the endless rabbit hole that I think no one fully understands. But I divide them up into two big categories. One is understanding sound money. And then two is understanding how Bitcoin can succeed as sound money. So I have some friends who are personally on board with the idea of sound money. Like they get the idea that money shouldn't just be created out of thin air, but they're not uh, technical people. They've never spent any time understanding Bitcoin. They're just skeptical of the claims that Bitcoin makes. They're like, how do I know it's going to be 21 million? Well, how does this tech actually work? You know, who's doing all these things behind the scenes? Am I just going to get rug pulled one day? So I'm sure you guys have friends who fall in this category, but for them, they're on board with sound money. So the things that you need to share with a person like that are focused on, here's how Bitcoin works. You know, maybe it's Jan Pritzker's inventing Bitcoin. Um, I think that's a fantastic summary of how Bitcoin works without going overboard into computer science detail. Um, but that's, like I said, a person who's on board with the ideas behind sound money. There are people who are in a totally different camp. And I met so many of these people in my former job who actually just reject sound money entirely. So they are the category who believe that we need, you know, at least 2% consumer price increases to have a growing economy. So the, what I find funny about all this is even if someone created Bitcoin and it's perfect and it's 21 million and everyone can send payments at the speed of light. Those people who believe that we need our money to constantly be debased wouldn't even care, which, which is you know, kind of just mind blowing to me. So anyway, I, I say that because this, this is why I think the principles of sound money are so important because the technical arguments don't matter to those people. Um, to those people, you actually need to have an economic conversation about why there's actually no need whatsoever for consumer prices to go up over time. Um, anyway, long-winded way of saying uh, that's why I think sound money is incredibly important. Okay, other news in the world of macro. So I uh, did not have too much time to digest it this morning, but I do find it interesting that we saw, obviously, the Fed rate hike decision on Wednesday. It was a 75 basis point hike, um, and the market reacted generally by being down. Um, then again, uh, yesterday, the market was down, and now today, we're seeing a reversal on that. You see some of the headlines are implying maybe it has to do with better than um, expected jobs data. Again, I haven't dove into this uh, deeply, but I will ask if anyone has um, looked into or, or seen why the market is up today 
Um, also, Bitcoin has moved up above 21,000. I was a little surprised when I just superficially scanned the headlines because I thought we were going to be in this environment where strong labor um, market numbers would indicate that the Fed is more likely to continue hiking. So I would have thought that a better than expected jobs report would have led to uh, the market being weaker today. Uh, but that is not the case. So does anyone happen to have any thoughts on that? What, what were the numbers? Did you say? Uh, so the, the jobs report, this was, um, there was the expectation of something like 200,000 roughly for non-farm payrolls. And it ended up being like 260,000. Uh, I know Sam is on and he could probably talk for an hour about why those numbers are pretty suspect and they include a lot of estimates and they often get revised um, in a totally different direction. Um, but the number that people are reacting to is we expected, you know, 200,000 jobs to be added, came in at 260. Um, and that's what a lot of people are pointing to as to why the market's up today. But like I said, it didn't totally make sense to me that a strong uh, labor print would lead to uh, a rally in equities. Yo, what's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, Sam. Welcome. What's, what's up, man? Up, man? Good morning. Just landed. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really get too in the weeds with like stock movements like the day or before or day after these FOMC meetings. Um, so I don't really describe that much, I guess, information from these moves. But if I had to say something, it's that if you, if you actually look at how the stock market responded uh, to the FOMC meeting, it initially shot up when just like the report came out um, because people were really excited about some of the language in it about the you know, monetary lags and cumulative tightening and how they have to like, wait and see. They thought maybe that was kind of dovish speak. And then once the Fed press or Powell came to the press conference, then his comments are what actually like take the market. Um, and so maybe, maybe people are just kind of still think that that those comments about being a, a lag monetary policy and that they'll wait and see more, uh, maybe the stock market's just kind of thinking that that means that hikes will pause sooner. I think it's kind of optimistic. And then there's that one sentence in the Fed presser where they said, if we over tighten, we will be able to support economic activity with our tools. And uh, maybe maybe people are reading that as, you know, that's, we know what's going to happen here. It's like every single time, if a recession does ensue and things really start to get bad out there, Paul just had a crystal clear message about what the Fed plans to do if they do make another policy error and over tighten. Uh, they will come in and do QE and, and do all those things that we know they're going to do. And maybe that was enough to get uh, the, the animal spirits going. Uh, but that's that's my best guess. Yeah, it's like there's a wave of zombies running at the Fed and they're taking their time to load their gun. And we all know they're going to fucking shoot their gun at some point. And they're saying, you know, if, if, if we take a little bit more time and add a few more bullets, we'll have more ammo to, to take on this horde of zombies. And you're like, yeah, well, of course you will. You know, like, you have to fucking shoot the zombies at some point. It's a zombie economy, man. You gotta shoot that. 
I thought one of the most interesting parts of the press conference was the very beginning where he talked about the dynamics, how it's changed, where, you know, they used to raise the federal funds rate and financial conditions would react. But now financial conditions react well before with the expectation of monetary policy, because the markets always are just thinking, what's the central bank going to do? And to me, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the, the markets that you guys have created. You guys have destroyed free markets and everything is based off central bank policy now. And it's, it's your fault. And, and, he, and Jerome Powell was like pontificating about this dynamic and how things have changed. I was like, this is exactly the problem with central planning. And so I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's hilarious. They play the card of like, how could, how could we have possibly gotten here? Um, as if they don't know what led to all this. Um, Sam, I'm glad you brought up that, uh, that quote. Um, there's, there's a couple of quotes we could get into, but the one Sam referenced, um, I believe I have the quote here. It was Powell saying, if we over-tighten, we can use monetary policy tools to support the economy. But if we don't tighten enough, inflation becomes entrenched. So that to me really is about as clear as can be that they are inclined to tighten like that is just, you know, tighten and then, and then see a problem and then they'll quote unquote fix it. I, I think, you know, that's, that's essentially what Powell just said there. Um, so number one, I would say everyone just, you need to be aware of that, that the, the fed is inclined to tighten until they cause a problem. And th those problems can take a lot of different shapes and then they'll come in with some sort of fix, uh, you know, probably Band-Aid fixes at first. Um, but number two, I would just highlight this. This is like a broader theme you see from the Fed that they view the economy as a car and they are the only skilled drivers of this car. They want you to think that we have the tools to step on the gas at the right time and we steer it this way when we're supposed to and we hit the brake when we're supposed to. That absolutely is not how it works in reality. But when you hear these comments from them, this just reinforces the fact that they want you to believe that the economy is a car, which only they can control. Um, so anyway, I wanted to put that out there. Peter? So this, this morning's jobs report, you know, is, I think, somewhat misleading. Um, you know, Amazon just said that they that they put a hiring freeze on um, and. I don't know. I, I really I really feel like we're in very strange times. And typically what happens leading up to a recession is, you know, you get a downturn in housing and then you get down, you know, then you then you start seeing um, uh, earnings and, and forward kind of, um, uh, you know, forward uh, 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 forward earnings, you know, start coming down. And then employment is kind of the last thing that happens. And we've seen a downturn in housing and we may not see a downturn in employment because of the amount of liquidity that is still sloshing around in this system. But eventually something is going to break and it, it might well be that they have to actually break housing to get people to um, stop spending money. And, you know, it's it's really unfortunate I, I'm not so sure that they do know what has caused this. I, I, I'm not so sure that they that they are are willing to um, place the blame on their own policies 
Um, and I, I think that they still think that they can fix this thing. And, and I think that they, when I say that, I think that they have begun to, that they, over the years, they believe their own rhetoric. They believe their own kind of ideas of how economics and economies work. And, you know, quite frankly, I think they're wrong. I agree with, uh, with, with you, both you and Sam. Um, but, uh, I'm not so sure that they actually are willing to do what they need to do to, um, understand the reason that this thing has happened. It's hubris. They, they just—it's hubris. That's one of the biggest problems with the Fed, I think. And then you know, Janet Yellen just came out uh, and apologized for missing the global financial crisis when she was a head governor, and that was about 15 years. So maybe we'll have to wait 15 years for them to admit they were wrong this time. Yeah, exactly, Sam. Oh, that's that's hilarious, but painful at the same time. Um, let's go to Terrence and then Anders. Maybe you should do Anders first because I think his hand up was before me. So that's okay. Okay, cool. Well, Thanks, Terrence. Terrence, you didn't say anything yet, though. So uh, go ahead. I'll jump in after. Okay, okay. So um, I, I have Bitcoin. I love Bitcoin. I work at a Bitcoin only company. That said, it is possible the um, stock market went up today. Because um, a couple things. One is 55% chance Republicans winning the Senate, meaning Congress could be divided. So it will be hard for um, the sitting president. And I don't care if you're talking about, in this case, it's a Democrat. But even under Republicans, right, uh, for all their talk about um, being fiscally conservative, both parties spend huge amounts of money, especially when they're they control the um, the House, Senate, and presidency. If you look at it statistically, they've increased spending, increased debt, increased deficits. Okay, so with this gridlock potentially happening now, an increased chance, maybe that is a positive because the Democrats can't do their ridiculous uh, ESG and um, you know forgiving this and that and just increasing spending and debt and deficits all over the place. So maybe that's one of the reasons. Um, another reason is obviously the jobs report looks good. Although I will say CNN surprisingly has a more balanced take pointing out that unemployment is up from 3.5 to 3.7%. But re regardless of that, the general feeling might be that, um, I'm speculating here, but that the economy could achieve a soft landing, which is good. So there are two ways for the stock market to go up, right? One is massive money printing. The other is the economy is just good. So if the Fed is perceived to have a slightly increased chance or somewhat increased chance of achieving a soft landing where they control inflation, they keep raising rates, um, the job and pay increases are happening, not as fast as inflation, but it seems to not be totally destroyed unlike what some people on Bitcoin Twitter seem to predict. this uh, I'm getting a little tired of the doom and gloom. And then on top of that, you have uh, potentially, so, so, so that might be the initial spark. And then what caused the bigger move, whether it's in Bitcoin or stocks, it, it was accentuated perhaps by short sellers getting margin called again and getting liquidated. Don't trade on margin. Thanks uh, there, Terrence. John, yeah, I wanted to say, 
because uh, you, you made me uh, think of something before when you said that the Fed believed that they're the only ones who know how to make the right decisions and drive this car, the economy, uh, for us to be in, in the right spot. And I think we need to ask ourselves, why are people in Cuba so poor and why don't they have enough goods and services? Why was it it's the same in Soviet Union and why did they economically uh, implode and, uh, and not, uh, didn't have enough goods on the shelves in, in, in all the shops? It essentially, it's because naive people again and again think that having a small committee of people uh, make better decisions on what to produce, when to produce, what research and development to, to produce instead of the free market. The world by now should understand, and I, I know most of us do here, that the free market is by far the best allocator of capital to maximize goods and services in a society that people want. Now, let's look at the Federal Reserve, as you brought up. Uh, the most important commodity in any uh, economy is the money, because on every side of every transaction, one half of that is money. So you could easily claim, and I do, that money makes up 50% of any economy. Now, the price of money is the interest rate. That's what it costs to borrow it for a given period of time. Now, what we have is a communist-style committee that we've already learned for, for, for centuries is a terrible way to price anything. What we have essentially on the Fed board is, is, is a communist-style committee deciding the price of the most important commodity in the American economy and the same around the world. And for some reason, people buy the lie that they are better at making that decision than the free market, this, the, we, we would be in a such much uh, better place if we had and let the free market roam also on interest rates. One of the excuses they, they, they rolled in this um, enslaving fiat currency uh, system back then was to ease out um, you know, uh, recessions and depressions, but they haven't managed to do that. It, the central bank doesn't work. It's just a thieving system to steal the value of our saver, sa savings and labor. So, yeah, um, I, I just think a, a communist-style committee is just uh, ruining everything for everyone, and we would be in a much better place without it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't trust the Fed, and we should have the free market to, to roam. Yeah, right on. Thanks, Anders. Um, a couple thoughts come to mind for me, and then we'll go to Peter. Um, I've had this conversation with many people who work in traditional finance. I, I start by saying, hey, you know, what would you say if tomorrow some government agency started setting the price and the supply of cars in our economy? And, you know, it's the government car agency and they say only that this is the number of cars that will be produced and this is what they will be sold for. And, you know, they, they start laughing because it's such an absurd and flawed idea that would just, just lead nowhere good. And then I say, okay, well, why are you okay with the fact that our monetary system works in exactly this way? And I've never heard a good answer on this question. They usually try to avoid it. Um, they'll say things like, oh, well, you know, the Fed doesn't directly control the money supply because there's the commercial banking system and 
oh, they're only controlling short-term rates, so they're not controlling every point on the yield curve, um, which I think is just a cop-out um, entirely and, and doesn't really answer the question. Um, but And then one other thing that comes to mind is uh, these people who will admit you know, you, you have to admit that the experts did not manage the economy properly going into 2008, for example, or during this, quote unquote, inflation is transitory period last year. They, they clearly failed. But usually what the pro central planners end up saying is uh, if we just get the right people in place, then they'll do a better job next time. Um, I, I kind of think that's absurd. Um, they've, they've failed enough times, I think, to prove that, that this does not work. And then one other response you sometimes hear from people about the monetary system is they might say, uh, the monetary system is just too important to leave to the free market. And this maybe is just a, a difference in, in viewpoint because I hear that and I think that's crazy. The monetary system is so important that you, you must leave it to the free market. It's so important that you can't let the central planners destroy it. So I just have a completely different perspective than, than those people. Um, and then lastly, I would just mention uh, Stephen Lubka, who um, is, is not on the call today. He's usually on Swan Private Macro Fridays. He wrote an article recently about capital misallocation. So this is one of the huge issues with a centrally planned monetary system and manipulated interest rates. It, it's not only not going to achieve what they think it's going to achieve, but it ends up leading to capital misallocation, which is economic destruction. It's the destruction of real-world resources. And Stephen put together uh, a really great article on this, so I would recommend anyone check that out if they have not seen it. Um, but I will, I'll pause there. Um, Peter, let's go to you. So I wanted to respond to uh, Terrence a little bit here. Uh, first of all, I, I agree with you. I think that this is just a just a short squeeze, um, and that this is this is trying to punish those that came in late in the afternoon uh, yesterday um, to uh, you know hop on the uh, hop on the shorting train. But you know the thing the thing that the thing that I took away from from Powell's uh, um, from Powell's uh, press conference yesterday was something that he said at almost almost at the very end of the press conference. It was just before. I don't know, it was a couple of sentences before he turned, said thank you and turned and walked away. He said, that means that we have to have policy be more restrictive and that narrows the path uh, to a soft landing. I think he just told us that there is no soft landing. That's what I think he just said. And um, I am one of the doom and gloomers and um I, I think it's going to get pretty bad here towards the uh, towards the end of the uh, into the fourth quarter or certainly into the into the first quarter next year. Yeah, that is definitely one of the highlights from from uh, yesterday. Uh, usually, the Fed and Treasury, all these central planners of our monetary and financial system, they're usually the last ones to admit something. Um, you know, we could go through plenty of examples, but like Sam said, Janet Yellen just recently acknowledged that she never saw the housing crisis coming. Bernanke has, you know, 15 different quotes that are just absolutely absurd and not seeing the housing crisis coming. We have inflation is transitory. They're usually the last people to see. He got something. a he got a Nobel Prize, John. <laughs> he's got he's got he's got history on his side, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Uh Oh man, don't get me started. But uh, no, it's uh, 
A Nobel Prize for what? It, yeah, it's, Sven Henrik has some of the, the greatest takes on this, right? It's like cause a bunch of problems, not see any of them coming, do some obscure academic research about the problems that you essentially caused and couldn't see, and then you get awarded a Nobel Prize and, and do speaking engagements um, you know, for, for years on end for thousands of dollars. Uh, quick, quick sidebar, I would say um, you guys might be interested to, to hear, once Ben Bernanke did come in to our floor at Goldman, um, we had this uh, big trading style floor and we had like a mini auditorium in the front of it. And we would have, this was a place for like morning market meetings. We would have sometimes external speakers come in with like investment strategy discussions, that kind of thing. And there's one afternoon where Ben Bernanke came in and uh, just chatted about, you know, really anything like his experiences, the financial crisis, what he thought about the economy at the time. This was probably in like 2018, I want to say. Um, but the amount of fanboying for Ben Bernanke from traditional finance was just unreal. Like I, I can't even describe it. I think, I think there were probably some guys that needed to change their shorts after that, um, after that presentation. Um, th these guys just like fawning over him, like standing room only in this little auditorium. Um, and I, I just couldn't understand. I mean, it's interesting to have a guy like that with that kind of status, but given like the just blatant failure that, that he had in the past, like I couldn't get as excited about it, but um, that's why I care about Bitcoin. And that's why all those people are probably still working in TradFi. I, uh, I picture Bernanke walking around like the Pope and Goldman and the partners kissing his ring or something. Thank you, sir. Thanks for bailing us out. Yeah, it's, it's not too far off that. I thought about asking him a question. I was actually going to bring up, I was going to say, you know, what do you think of someone like Peter Schiff who, you know, really correctly foresaw the housing crisis years before it happened? But uh, I probably would have got so many dirty looks and just like blackballed within Goldman that I didn't ask the question. Um, they just, you know, lobbed up a lot of softballs to him during that. Um, so, yeah, you, didn't, you know, didn't and it's funny, John, because in, in the Bitcoin, in the Bitcoin space, those are exactly the questions everybody asks. Nobody holds back when it comes to stuff like that, because, you know, Bitcoin uh, promotes and, and elicits truth. And I, I just I love the fact that that Bitcoiners um, want the truth, they seek the truth, and it just shows this 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 kind of um, you know this fiat mentality and this and this opposition of don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah, right on. I think that's super important. Uh, we definitely don't want a culture in the Bitcoin community where everyone is just saying yes to each other. And, and I don't think we have that, right? People you know, say when they disagree about something, when they see something another way. Um, that's why I don't, I don't necessarily mind a lot of the arguing um, that you see in the Bitcoin community. Obviously, sometimes it can devolve into places that maybe it shouldn't. But in general, I think that kind of healthy tension where people are speaking their minds is much better than people just you know, getting into this yes, yes, groupthink mentality, which is uh, much more TradFi. Um, okay, with that, does uh, does anyone have anything they want to add on some of these topics we've discussed so far? I, I mean, I'll add one thing. I just, I, I don't think the labor market is strong. <laughs> I just don't. 
I see all these layoffs. I think uh, they're looking at lagging data. I think payrolls, I, we can talk about it, but very questionable methodology of how that's calculated with the adjustments and the revisions. Um, I think job openings, the jolts can be manipulated. I think one person could put up a ton of job openings and then never respond to any applicants. I saw multiple reports of that. Um, this one, this one girl did this research where she just applied to like 10,000 job openings and she had like a very small percentage even respond back to them. And so I just don't really believe the labor market's strong. And even they said, you know, I bring up the labor force participation rate, but there's 2.5 million workers that are still gone. You know, they just kind of brush over that fact. And I know that Wall Street doesn't care about it. I know that central bankers don't care about it, but the real economy cares about it. They're wondering where the hell is 2.5 million workers, you know? So I, I, I don't think the labor market's as strong as the Fed thinks. And I think that sets up the potential for a trapdoor scenario where things might fall out underneath us. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I'm doom and gloom too. I think they're setting up to over-tighten and make another policy error as they typically do. And I think things could get a little bit shaky here. Uh, same thing, I think 2023, quarter one is kind of what I and many other people I respect have been eyeing. Yeah, and on the labor market stuff, it's hard to reconcile these aggregate data releases that come out, like the one that did this morning, when you look at what so many individual companies have announced. So um, one of the big ones that made headlines uh, this week was Stripe, uh, online payments processing company, laying off somewhere around 14% of its workforce. Uh, Lyft was, uh, I saw 13% of their workers, they're laying off. Uh, Apple paused all hiring except for research and development. I saw Amazon paused hiring for their corporate workforce. Um, <laughs> Twitter, there's, apparently there's going to be some layoffs at Twitter. Did you guys hear about that? Um, uh, you know, that, that one may be a little more idiosyncratic. But um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I've, and that's only some of them. There's probably others that I didn't mention. It just seems hard to... Um, really reconcile this strong labor market with all the announcements that are constantly coming from corporate America. And then you layer on top, like Sam was alluding to, all these kind of games that can be played with the numbers to make them look a certain way. And uh, it is it is harder to say that it's a, a strong labor market for sure. Yeah, also midterms, right? So a lot of these numbers are put out by people in the executive branch. They work for Biden, ultimately. And you got midterms coming up, but I am not a conspiracy theor uh, theor theorist. I'm like you yes. are, Terrence. You are yourself. <laughs> Clause, a I'm not out of theory. the closet on that yet. Hold on, I'm not out of the closet on that yet. <laughs> you are the conspiracy right, theorist. I I do like uh, I do like that you keep reminding us about the midterms, though, Terrence, because it's something that I I just don't like politics, but it it does matter. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, agreed. We might see some volatility next week. Um, midterms are definitely an important thing for, for U.S. politics. Um, uh, and Terrence, you may not be a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, I did hear someone say recently conspiracy theories might as well be called spoiler alerts at this point. So um, maybe you want to get into that business. I will look into it. <laughs> um, 
Okay, Pubby. Uh, sorry, I didn't see who has their hand up first, but uh, let's go to Pubby uh, Sat, and Sat, Sat, Sati. No, Sat, Sat should go first. Go ahead. Okay. She, she just got up. Okay, I got a question. John, I appreciate your insights, and I like the way you've had sort of a view inside the traditional markets. I would imagine at Swan, a lot of the people working with the private advisor group and the high net worth, one of the major questions that, that they probably bring to you is like, what is the total addressable market cap of Bitcoin that you see? Um, I, I'd be interested to you know hear your perspective on that. And does Swan as a team kind of, you were talking about echo chambers, like does each um, advisor have their own perspective or do you guys have a bit of a, a team group um, tally on what you think that total addressable market cap would be? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, there probably is, there, there's definitely more so individual views at Swan on that question. Um, but with that said, you know, we probably have formulated at some point in, into more of a, like a house view, if you will. Um, but we do think it's pretty important for everyone to maintain their their individual viewpoint on what they think is going to happen, especially on a topic like total addressable market, which is pretty subjective. Uh, you're predicting the future. Um, predicting future is a hard business. So, you know, no one has a monopoly on um, on the, the correct information there. I would offer a few um, a few comments on total addressable market. Uh, but even before getting there, I would say, I think, I personally think, and, and like I said, these are personal views. So others at, at Swan may feel differently, or maybe they just approach it from a different perspective. One of the, I think the next big hurdle for, for uh, Bitcoin is to eclipse the market cap of gold. And, and I think we could have uh, very interesting conversations about total addressable market. Then you start talking about, you know, the hundreds of trillions because there are arguably so many people who have uh, poured money into stocks, bonds, real estate, etc. as a way to save because they have other they have no other way to save. And all of those assets have accrued some sort of monetary premium over time. And I think Bitcoin will eat into that. So that you could make that case, but that, you know, now you're talking like hundreds of trillions. But I think even before then, for Bitcoin to eclipse gold's market cap, to me, is the next big hurdle. And I think it is interesting because I don't think people have woken up to the fact that if, if anyone believes gold should have a 10 trillion market cap, you know, Bitcoin being less than half a trillion, to me, this looks like a wild mispricing. And people in traditional finance are supposed to uh, identify mispricings like this, whether you're in stocks or you're in bonds or whatever. You see, um, my my old world was corporate bonds. You would see one corporate bond, uh, you know, could be any type of company um, trading cheap or expensive relative to another, and you'd say, hey, this shouldn't this this difference shouldn't be there. I think it's going to compress over time. So you take that relative value view. People do the same thing with stocks. So I tend to think that the next big hurdle um, for Bitcoin to cross. And I think this could be a, become a pretty big narrative at some point. People are going to say, you know, gold is 10 trillion. Why is Bitcoin less than 5% of that market cap? Um, so I, I tend to think that is a, a, a next milestone for, for Bitcoin to hit. 
And then bigger picture, total addressable market, go once you're past 10 trillion, then it goes into you start saying, okay, well, how many people own stocks because they were just passively dumping money into SPY and QQQ? And how many of them were passively, you know, maybe not so passively, but dumping money into real estate? And now they're going to rotate out of that into Bitcoin. And that's where I think you start to get into the hundreds of trillions. Um, but anyway, long-winded way of saying I think 10 trillion gold's market cap is is the more near-term uh, milestone for Bitcoin. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of the most comparable, like on one level, in terms of a form of hard money. But it does beg the question, like, yeah, how come these people don't see this mispricing? Like, why aren't more people awake to this and at least suggesting a certain allocation to their clients and maybe they are and it's just that it's not available to a lot of these advisors yet in you know certain forms or they don't stand to make any money off telling people to self-custody their bitcoin obviously yeah and I'll, I'll give a quick anecdote. I was going to elaborate on this next week when we're doing uh, Swan Private Macro Friday at Pacific Bitcoin in LA, but I'll just give kind of the short version of it here. One um, parallel you could draw is, I'm sure everyone watched, you know, Tesla become <clears throat> the world's most valuable car company. A few years ago when Tesla was growing, Toyota was the world's uh, largest market cap, most valuable car company. And there were times where everyone just said, there's no way Tesla can eclipse Toyota. You know, look at Toyota. They're in this many countries. They produce this many cars. Tesla just can't do it, can't do it. And then eventually it just did it. And all those people were wrong. And all their reasoning was thrown out the window. And now Tesla is probably like 3x the market cap of Toyota. And I don't think there's anyone arguing that it's going to go below Toyota anytime soon. And you, you don't have to be like one of these <clears throat> Tesla bulls in order to believe that. Maybe you think it's overvalued, fine. But no one's now arguing that Toyota is going to retake the, the share for most valuable car company. I think that's an interesting anecdote because it just shows how people can repeat something for so long that, oh, yeah, Toyota should be more valuable than Tesla. And then it just flips. And then it never goes back after that. Um, so anyway, I wanted to throw that one out there. It might. It might. Just saying. Wait, I think we have Toyota's a better company than Tesla. So okay, we have a Tesla bear. Yeah. Hey, look, it's possible. I, my bigger point is that so many people were saying how how Tesla could never pass Toyota, and then like those people were proven wrong within a matter of months. Um, but it, it is it is possible. Um, okay, Satya, thank you for that. Uh, Pubby, let's go to you. Yeah, so to jump back, it's funny when Terrence started speaking, I was getting ready to talk to you, and I was going to say, well, I'm somewhat of a conspiracy theorist myself, but more Machiavellian in nature. And, yeah, I, I think these midterms um, really changed. And I remember earlier this year we were talking about the, the tightening that was coming, but – Surely the Dems will make it look good. They'll save the day and they'll, they'll start in the QE again. But I'm curious if they realized maybe how bad it really is for them that what you do if you're Machiavelli is, is you, you need the biggest shit sandwich for the next one to eat that everyone blame, – it's the blame game. And when you're doing this now 
and tightening. And we've seen, you know, people trying to get a mortgage that went from 3% to what, 7% in a year. It's absolutely unheard of. This is, and this is what you do. If you know you're going to lose this one, you live to fight for the next quote unquote midterm, which, oh, by the way, includes the president. Okay. So what you do is you, you blow up this bridge that's going to take, I don't care who's in charge, probably two years, two years just to dig out of that pile. And you've got two years of blaming the leaders that are in charge. And then when you get to that next election, guess what? It's your side back in charge again. Just my theory. Yeah, the pro- I to- agree with you to a certain extent. Uh, but the problem with that is people usually blame the president. They don't blame Congress for things. So I don't know. We'll see. And, and real quick, John, um, in, in regards to, you know, what you were saying about, um, you know, why people aren't more more interested in Bitcoin and and, um, uh, you know, and, and looking at the at this at this really unreasonably low price. I asked you that question a long time ago um, when when you first came over to Swan and I was asking you um, about um, why your compatriots aren't, you know, what, why, why they don't understand Bitcoin. And you basically said, well, they just don't have an interest in it. Yeah. Yeah. Good memory, Peter. And um, shameless plug, I did end up writing an article called How Legacy Finance Perceives Bitcoin. I tried to organize all my thoughts into that article because um, there are a lot of different angles that are you know hard to condense. It's uh, definitely some, the university system plays a role there, but uh, lack of interest is certainly one way I would describe their views towards uh, anything other than the current monetary system. So, okay, we are at 12.01 Eastern, which is crazy because that went by so quickly to me. Um, First, I want to say thanks to everyone for having me as a guest host here in place of Alex. Um, Appreciate you guys having me. Um, before we do the usual wrap, um, I will see if uh, Terrence or Sam um, have any closing comments or if any of the other speakers want to wrap with anything. Uh, sure, real quick. Um, I think it's important to think long term. And if we are right that the Fed is off and there's no soft landing, even if there is a soft landing, right, I think in terms of Let's assume there is no conspiracy theory. There is no incompetence. Their incentives are totally misaligned because their incentive to justify their job is to over-tinker and oversteer. They're trying to avoid hyperinflation. They're trying to avoid economic depression. So far, they've been able to do it since 2008 right, and before. But at some point, they're going to screw up and we will be out of options. And at that point, whether it's just Bitcoin and the US dollar as the last two kind of money's left standing. Bitcoin is going to win. Why? Because it is the only asset in the world that is hard to censor and hard to stop with a finite supply and digital and all that stuff. So look into Bitcoin, buy some just in case. You you might be skeptical. You might, be, you might think the Fed is saying exactly what they're going to do, right? And communicating clearly and competent and all that. But just in case you're wrong, right, look at the incentives. Long-term, Bitcoin is an easy buy. I'll just give a uh, other view to Terrence's. I don't think they, they succeeded at all at preventing an economic depression in the global financial crisis. Uh, GDP growth 
has been lower than the Great Depression since 2007. Uh, like I said, there's 2.5 million missing workers. I don't think the Fed did anything in 2008 except blow asset bubbles. So <laughs> I, I have to push back on you there, Terrence. Um, but I do agree with everything you said with Bitcoin. Good stuff, guys. Love the back and forth. Um, okay, great. Before, uh, before I give a few um, parting comments, I will pass it to Jacob real quick um, to let everyone know what's going on next week because, of course, uh, many of us will be in L.A. So um, just wanted, Jacob, to let everyone know what the schedule for Cafe Bitcoin will be next week. Sorry, hold up. You're putting me on the spot, John. I didn't expect to talk, but uh, yeah, we have uh, BJ Dichter coming by. He's writing a book about uh, the uh, what what happened in Canada, so that's going to be an exciting episode. And then we have a couple of the sponsors stopping by, and then we have the live uh, broadcast on Thursday of Macro Strategy with Dr. Jeff, James Lavish, uh, Lawrence Lapard and greg foss and then swan private macro on friday which is going to be live as well um so that'll be just normal spaces actually but um we're just really excited about the conference and thank you guys for hanging out today really excited about it thanks jacob sorry to put you on the spot there but you crushed it um so yeah that's the that's next week um monday tuesday wednesday normal shows and then thursday friday the shows will be from the conference itself um Okay, I believe that is a wrap here. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Thank you, guys, for having me uh, as a co-host in place of Alex. Thanks to the speakers for speaking. Thank you to the regulars. You guys make this uh, fantastic conversation every day. Really great to have you guys. I think we covered a lot in today's show for everyone listening. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. I'll do my best Alex impression here, and I will tell you all to get on the mission. Do your part in advancing Bitcoin adoption. That's what I think of when I hear get on the mission. And that can, of course, mean many different things to different people. Could mean educating yourself about the endless disciplines that make up Bitcoin. Could mean helping others see why Bitcoin is so important. Could be showing someone in your group of connections how to use Bitcoin. Send them some sats so they can see it with their own eyes. Um, take a look at that long list of Bitcoin articles you have bookmarked. I'm sure we all have that. Pick one, read it this weekend, um, and, and get your education game going. All right. I think that's enough for me. Everyone get on the mission. And, of course, crush it. <laughs>